I love the generative moment in a really engaging conversation when the world falls away and you forget time and place. I've had listening as a secret superhero power for as long as I can remember. I think listening helps build a great conversation and real listening is done with an open curiosity and very little of your own agenda. It may sound easy, but it can be really hard to do. I like to make connections between ideas and people. It's just the way my brain works. Why do we connect with other human beings? I think it's part of the hierarchy of needs. Comfort, connection, community. I've always been uncomfortable with the question, what do you do? I don't equate what you do with who you are. We all have multiple interests, passions, families, backstories, and futurescapes that make us who we are. Every interaction changes us, some in big and some in small ways. I hope this podcast changes you. So my guest today is going to be Jody Zolk. She is the co-facilitator currently of Malden Reads, which is a program, One Book, One City. Um, she is MPP, Community Education Activist. She is a co-facilitator of the Malden Reads program. She brings more than 15 years of experience as administrator in, in, in that start again. Take two. Jody Zalk is my guest today. She is a co-facilitator and founder of the Malden Reads program in Malden, Massachusetts, which is one book, one city. She has more than 15 years of experience as an administrator in education and working with the youth. She brings leadership experience to the program and is delighted to see how the Malden Reads program has taken root in our community. The connections made among Maldonians to city resources, including the schools, to our books and films, programs, and other events. She's a lovely, heartfelt, wonderful individual. Happy to have her on the program today. And we're going to talk about a really exciting event that's happening in a couple of weeks on the 24th of September in Malden, Massachusetts, called Words on the Water. It has uh, some really cute, cool features to it. So stay tuned. This is Felicia Ryan. I'm the host of Hi Felicia Podcast, and I have a super awesome guest today, Jody Zolk. Hi. Hi, Felicia. <laughs> Sometimes I can get the guests to say that, and other yeah. times people are like, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the dead silence, and I'm like, and we'll move on. <laughs> Did I say your last name right? Yes. Okay. I'll so, answer to anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of like that, too. Um so I did read your bio earlier, and we know each other through Malden Reads, um, but tell me a little bit about uh, your background. I know you're an educator, um, education activist, um, yeah. and, and what, what sort of drew you to starting um, an organization? I know you have a co-facilitator, yeah. um, and, but tell me about what drew you to starting an organization like Malden Reads. Yeah, it um, was a long time coming. There was an article that my mom and I had read in the paper um, from some other community doing a One City, One Book program. And we said, wow, that's pretty amazing. And when we read that, there was just a lot of um, negativity. And I just read that and thought, how amazing would it be to just have a, a, a connection throughout the community and be able to focus on something positive and to learn something mm. and to connect around a book. And sometimes it's easier to have that as a focal point than to have just um, maybe other conversations. And yeah, this really yeah. helps draw out those conversations. I've been really impressed by the... Um the thoughtfulness that the organization gives to um, how you choose books and that you choose like maybe a central book, but then you choose a lot of different sort of books that supplement it so that the book might be for adults, but yeah. that you have supplementary books that go for kids. Like I know, I think I... Alicia, I wish people could see your arm <laughs> movements. Just, just your, um, like Vanna White. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And I always like make fun of people who buy the vowel too early. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember like, uh, was it Fahrenheit um, mm-hmm. four, 457? Four, 451. 451. Yeah. Um, but what were some of the supplementary books that you had for kids around, around things in that? Um, one of the books was Arthur the Aardvark. Really? <laughs> yeah. And we had some other uh, books for kids that were on um, uh, book banning and what that feels like to not be able to share your voice. Yeah. Um, we also had a really powerful uh, picture book that was, um, I think it was on Iraq, and it was a library that was um, uh, bombed and people who were trying to save the books. Um and that really was a powerful one that, yeah. that stuck with me. The, um, that, you know, who would have thought that a book that had been written so long ago would be so relevant today when we talk about book, book banning. Yeah. Do you have to give any thought to that as we start? Because I'm part of Malden Reads as well. Yeah. Thank you for including me in the organization. Hey. I really have been really enjoying it. But as we think about selecting the next book, mm-hmm. have you thought of any of that actually we have a number of books that have been banned which is pretty exciting (laughs) (laughs) depending on your perspective right right yeah um I would think so too like you start to look at there was um I felt I just it made me almost cry there was a librarian on um I believe it was weekend edition on NPR and um I want to say she was in Nebraska or uh, Oklahoma or someplace like that. And there had been this whole crazy campaign against her and about banning books and, you know, critical race theory and like, you know, all these things. And they had the area had come up with this uh, list of banned books and they targeted her personally and they gave out her personal address. And she kept saying, none of these books that you're banning are in the library. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I um, I think that a lot of what's happening is that people just aren't listening yeah. to each other. And maybe some folks have some concerns but don't understand what um, what's actually happening yeah. and we just need maybe more more dialogue together yeah and that- but i'll tell you that our last event in march 2020 was a film screening and we all showed up like i don't know how this feels to be in person because yeah, yeah. it was like march 13th or yeah, something yeah. i think we all showed up to work the next day and um people got sent home and yeah. it was it was a very weird time but it was with um Betty Davis, and it was a black and white film, and she was a librarian, and um, there was a concern that the books were communist books in her (laughs) library, (laughs) and they ended up... What year was it made? Do you remember? I... I, Was it 20s, 30s, 40s? I don't remember. It's probably then. (laughs) Yeah, but it it was so timely, and it's... I know. It's um, even more so. Her, Her library at the end was just burning to the ground it sounds like your your story that you just heard on npr yeah and well what was sad about it was the librarian ended up she resigned because she'd been so personally targeted and um she kept saying you know i'd i'd be willing to have a conversation with people about their concerns but she kept saying like they are asking me to ban they want to ban books that we don't have in the library so there was like this total total disconnect between what people's concerns were potentially and this list of banned books and what the library actually had and how she became a target of probably like what you might consider extreme views about books and what the power so we all are acknowledging on both sides or, or in everywhere in between the power of books yeah it's but, pretty amazing but we're saying that books have such a power that they can educate and communicate to us or they can corrupt 
right? Corrupt without any kind of dialogue. So just by reading a book, we can transform people into communists, socialists, fascists, gay, another race. <laughs> right? You know, I'll tell you that um, my co-facilitator, Anne, said something once that stuck with me that a book is the closest you'll get to being in the head of another person. Yes. And you probably yes. can say this better than I can as, yes. as a writer, but um, to have that connection with an author and to hear exactly yes. what they want to say, um, yeah, that's pretty powerful. But that, but that's the whole thing, um, Jody. We were talking earlier uh, offline about empathy. This yeah. is the thing. This is that's what it. books create. They create empathy, understanding. They create dialogue. They challenge our views. And reading a story for me as both a writer and a reader of somebody else's perspective is the most transformative, take you out of your own worries or troubles or, you know, whatever's going on in your head. I'm reading a book now called Circe. It's a I've read that. Yes. <laughs> it's fantastic. But it, it, I relate to it because yeah. she was a woman, she was a goddess who had power, who was diminished by her family and never really knew what her power was. And as she starts to come into her power, I mean, who can't relate to that as a woman yeah. in, in my culture? You know, not dismissing any kind of privilege I might have had or might have because I'm white and, you know, had a good upbringing and a background and went to private schools, acknowledging that privilege, but still having feelings potentially of and being diminished or not being heard or not understanding my own sense of power or worth. And that that's a myth. That was mythology that this uh, that this author, you yeah. know, fictionalized. But I can relate to it. I think that's the thing about stories is that there's always something that's relatable, or mm -hmm. you can find that connection and put yourself in somebody else's story. Yeah, absolutely. So as we um, talk about Malden Reads, we have this wonderful, you've had this wonderful season where you selected Joy Harjo's American Sunrise, yeah. which is a book of poetry and by a Native American author who was the um, poet laureate of the U.S. two years running, Yeah, <laughs> which is very yeah. unusual. She's also a songwriter. She's also... Um, She's a novelist. Uh, she's written a couple of autobiographies, which are amazing. Um, but how did you guys in Malden Reads come to select that as your book? It was um, a very different pick for us mm -hmm. because it's our first collection of poetry. Mm -hmm. And we had uh, looked at each other in, on Zoom <laughs> and said, do we really think this is it? This is the book for the year is um, poems. And will that resonate with folks? Will folks want to read this? And um, there were so many themes from the book that we just thought were important to draw on. Mm -hmm. And um, it was as we, I think as we were picking it, we also, as she had written it, I think was maybe at the end of the previous presidency. So we were thinking about the um, American Sunrise, different administration, yeah. um, the pandemic, um, just how how we relate to things, how we read things um, is different. Um, and the, the themes of the environment, mm -hmm. um, just that really felt super important to us. It's, it's very cool because I think poetry, po poets will always say this, and I, I write some poetry. I don't know if I consider myself a poet, but maybe I am a, I've I had a hard time considering myself as a writer for many years, but now I. I've I, heard your poetry. <laughs> I'll call you a poet if you won't. <laughs> but this idea that poetry more so than any other form has the ability to um, explain the unexplainable. Hmm. convey emotion um, 
mean different things to different people. Um, potentially even ha- uncover uncover things that people don't want to look at. I mean, poetry is the f- can be the first form of activism in some ways. Um, even like the beat poets were very much anti, you know, c- cult- counterculture. Yeah. Um, and spoken word. And yes. All of that. Yep. Yep, and a lot of um, people of color find their voice through poetry in poetry slams. Um, Poetry slams were started in Chicago. Um, And I just love this idea of, um, you know, Joy Harjo talks about so many different topics in in American Sunrise. And I I was lucky enough with my co-facilitator, Chris Hickey, who is the the main point guy at uh, the Malden Writers Collaborative, we were lucky enough to do a poetry workshop that was in conjunction with Malden Reads around Joy Harjo's work. And it was so fun to hear different people's take on even different words that she used, like what that meant to them. And it was really like very personal and people had Come, it was a really nice group of folks, different backgrounds, different ages. Um, I love Anne's. She always gives her disclaimer about, like, I'm not sure how to read poetry. I'm not really a poetry fan, but this is what I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, we were so happy that you and Chris were so receptive <laughs> to doing that oh, event. Oh, it was fun. Because we, like you say, we um, we weren't really sure Um how receptive people would be to poetry in general. And so this felt really important to kind of introduce and welcome people to poetry. And they were, they were really like people who signed up were like really on it. And it was less about like, how do we read poetry? And it was more like, let's read poetry. Yeah. So that idea that like, there's no one way, um, poetry is songs. Poetry is rap lyrics. Poetry is, um, really anything there's no right or wrong way to write or read poetry um i talked about how i read american sunrise uh, really by skipping around i didn't read front to back um and i know sometimes poets do have a purposeful theme for why they place Mm -hmm. poems in a certain way um so i wasn't trying to disregard that but i i i really liked thinking of it as like snacks like i'm you know, like I love it. Uh, reading this one and reading this one and finding this one and then oh, going back and reading this one and then reading this one and then maybe reading front to back or back to front. It's um, not like oh, you have to eat your Brussels sprouts. It's like <laughs> snacks. Yeah, and and also I think um, there is a poem book of poetry by a um, young young poet, Rupi Kaur, and she wrote uh, The Sun and Her Flowers. And I found her because she used to post her work on Instagram. And she would do little doodles around it. Um, And I remember reading her book um, really cover to cover on a plane ride. Wow. And like weeping and laughing and folding pages over and skipping ahead and like just everything. And it was all, it was sort of uh, stages of a relationship. That's how she wrote the different, and she had chapters and then poems in between. And some of them were three lines and others were maybe a couple of paragraphs. Did she have doodles in the book as well? Yes, doodles in the book as well. And um, it was all about like um, sowing seeds watching things grow, watching things die, and then harvesting, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, it, her relationship with her body, her relationship with a, a, an outside person, her relationship with her ancestors, this idea of, like, how her mother was treated, how her grandmother was treated. There was definitely, like, arranged marriages there. There were people who didn't necessarily get bodily autonomy. Oh. Um Wow. And it was really like I I have no Southeast Asian in my background <laughs> in my DNA, but I was so there with her like and I'm also an older woman, so I've been through many different types of relationships and a relationship of my own body and my own self. Mm-hmm. Um but I just remember being like people around me pro- probably thought I was crazy because I was like, you know, 
turning pages and writing notes and like, <laughs> oh, oh, crying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've, uh, I remember flying a few years back, reading one of the um, companion books, and it was like a middle school read and, you know, definitely not a middle schooler, but I'm yes. reading a middle school book, like yes. huddled up to the window as I'm like weeping and wiping right, away tears. Right, right. Um, I, I'm a book collector, as most writers are, um, and I collect children's books. Because mm-hmm. I think there's some, and, and I read everything. I read young adult, I read adult. I Sometimes I need a break from adult fiction or adult nonfiction because it's very heavy sometimes. Yeah. And reading young adult, oh, my God, it's like a different world. and But it's still interesting and compelling yeah. and... But it sometimes it just doesn't have the heavy themes that adult yeah. fiction or adult nonfiction has. Or reading uh, younger kids, even picture books. Oh, my God. Just... Have you read um, Joy Harjo's um, For For Girl Becoming? No, I want to do. I want to read that. It's beautiful. We've had... Um, We've taken pages from it and laminated them and have them at some of the different events over the year. I love it. And her word choice is just so beautiful and the cadence of um, her phrasing. And, like, I kind of miss that adult books don't have pictures. I know that sounds strange, but that's one of the things that I love about children's books is that the authors either choose – an illustrator or someone, an artist to work with, or they make their own. But I love that idea that there's some thought given to a visualization of the story. Yeah. Yeah, it's multi, um, multi-layered and multifaceted right. that way. And, like, I love it when books, um, like even Tolkien does it, like where there's a map or you get a family tree and – um, Madeline, uh, is it Madeline Miller who does wrote the Circe? And yeah, she has. Um, you get the books that I've gotten of hers have um, like a companion questions in the back because they're they're probably yeah. for classroom. But she gives you a list of characters and then she tells you like historically are the gods and goddesses. This is the god and he was the god of the sea or whatever. And then so you get sort of like a little key index, which I love. I love when. Yeah. Books have that kind of index for who are the players, basically. Yep, yep. That's cool. So um, Malden Reads has a very cool event coming up on September 24th, 10 to 2, called Words on the Water. And um, tell me about, tell me a little bit about the event, like how it came about and, you know, why is it going to be fun and cool kind of collection of different (laughs) things happening? It is definitely a collection of many things happening. And I'll start by saying the Malden Reads portion is 10 to 2. And then the event is happening till 5. Okay. Because it's a collection of many, many things happening. And we're partnering with uh, the Friends of the Malden River and the uh, Mystic River uh, watershed. Okay. Um, and in the afternoon, we'll have Project Mystique, and they'll be celebrating um, with a, a, a music and drumming oh, and cool. dance. Um, so I want to make sure that we also acknowledge Thank our you. friends yes. as the afternoon portion. But we'll be at the Malden River just behind the DPW over on Commercial Street. Okay. And we'll be taking over the yard there. And um, on the river, we'll be uh, canoeing and having free canoes for folks. Um, For me, my only experience with the DPW is if I've missed recycling and (laughs) have to go there, (laughs) dumping my my newspapers there. But um, hidden behind there is the Malden River. So being able to... Um, connect with the water and know that that's part of our community. Yes. And we also wanted to have an event that's centered on um, one of Joy Harjo's identities, which is as someone who's Native American, she's Mm -hmm. a member of the Muscogee Nation. Yep. And um, so we're going to be partnering with um, 
um, a member of the Nipmuc tribe as well as someone from the Wampanoag, and they'll be sharing their stories. They'll be doing storytelling. They'll be That's sharing so uh, through dance. They'll be um, explaining how important the water is and the health of the water, and it should just like you said, be really fun, really phenomenal, and probably not like other events that, that we've held. So is this the first time that um, Malden Reese has connected with Native Americans in the area on an event? or you, you had We a did a book, I don't know, maybe eight or ten years ago. Okay. Um, from the pandemic, I lost all sense of time. But oh, gosh. Hasn't everybody? Yeah. I'm like, today is Blurg's day. <laughs> <laughs> so in Blurg's year, we chose the absolute absolute true story of a part-time Indian okay. by Sherman Alexi. Mm-hmm. And um, back then, we were able to have events in person, indoors, <laughs> <laughs> and not think twice about it. And we had our, our opening celebration at the in the historic wing in the library. And cool. it was really cool. And we had um, a member of one of the, the local tribes who was able to come and share and teach a participatory dance. And we had um, someone named uh, Joseph Firecrow who was sharing his stories and playing a uh, flute as well. It was really amazing. What do you think that... Um I, we talked a little bit offline about this, but what do you think that you've learned in terms of, you know, having been involved with Malden Reeds this past year, um, we had some conversations around land acknowledgement. What does that mean? What is that phrase? Why do we do it? And do you have any thoughts or lessons that you feel like you've learned in terms of some of the history around Native Americans in our area, in the Malden area? I feel like I'm still learning. Mm, me too. Um, but I often think of the the saying by, um, I think it's Maya Angelou, who said, um, uh, you don't know what you don't know. Yes. But when you do learn, you try and you do better. Right. Um, so for us, the land acknowledgement is something that... Um, has become more prevalent that mm-hmm. other groups do to um, to start um, a group um, meeting or an event, mm-hmm. but helps to ground us as a group to acknowledging the history of that community. Yes. And so for me, um, that is still a, a process of, of learning yes. um, and research and finding the folks who were here in this community and the histories that I read and still knowing that we still need to connect with the, um, the folks who were here and making sure that we're saying things in a respectful way and an appropriate way. And the history that was documented, right. That, um, that we're not leaving something out and that we're, sharing something yeah. that but even making the happened. attempt at saying um <laughs> we forget uh, uh so you you go so i went to um europe last year um around this time it was in uh, malfi italy the malfi coast beautiful and, gorgeous and you forget like our history is short in this country yeah. the way that we remember it we think of it as like blank slate we came over oh hi there are a few native americans <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's 1776 we have a new country and like let's move on um <laughs> but this idea even in malden we talk about maybe things that happened with like converse or like you know how industrial we were or like how you know cool things changed or you know um giving uh giving um talking about the historical society but we forget that like people lived here people used the river (laughs) um and having at least the idea that we could attempt at acknowledging there were people here that lived on the land that shepherded 
the land that in- interacted with the land. Um, and they're not gone. They may not live here anymore, but they still exist and survive and have culture and traditions. And maybe it would be interesting to learn about those things. It's been really um, a learning experience and yeah. eye-opening for me in talking me with some of the folks who'll be um, at Words on the Water. And um, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was, but he said, I represent my people and all that I've learned from them. And that knowledge has been here 10,000 years. Yes, yes. So like you say, it's not just... 200 and we think right. that's pretty long but or that it's special because it's we think of ourselves as like boston the birthplace of america um america right. was here a long time before we got here <laughs> and there yeah. were a lot of people here they just happened to not um settle in the same way we settled and they had different traditions and we sort of wrote them out of our history the event this year that was one of the most powerful for me um was the one of our film screenings um and stacy from the library always picks really great documentaries mm-hmm. and um she found one that was produced by it's called the upstander project mm. and so we were able to watch this short film followed by a q a um which was really great they were streaming it and the film is called bounty and um, they had interviewed some people at the the old state house, which was really shocking for me. I I had a summer job for two summers at the old state house, and I never knew any of this. But they talked about this bounty, this document that was signed at the old state house that was giving a bounty, an amount of money on killing Native American people. And different price for a man, for a woman, and a child. And so um, they brought together some Native American people and explaining to their kids. So this happened here in this room. And just seeing that realization dawn on them and that understanding and that they're here despite that right yeah and that we we do we forget to acknowledge history is history is written by the the winners um we we don't we have a hard time and and even i'll just speak from personal experience sometimes we have a hard time acknowledging mistakes of our past as an individual so how do we do that as a culture if all these individuals who are the winners get to write history they just skip over those facts i'm reading a fiction i'm um, watching a fictionalized um story that was produced by the bbc it's super fictionalized but it's around um ancient uh ancient um time around vikings and um the kingdom of of king alfred around so it's like around 980 ad wow um but it's all about um how alfred was very learned and scholar scholarly really wasn't a warrior but he had uh he had partnered with this uh, guy who was a Saxon, but was kidnapped uh, when his parents' sort of castle was taken over by the Vikings, and then the Viking family had him as a slave, but then adopted him as family. So he had both sort of both traditions, mm-hmm. um, and how Alfred was like writing writing the chronicles of his kingdom, but eliminating the fact that this heathen helped him win all these different wars. So there's like definitely real history there. Like you can look up King Alfred, mm-hmm. but it's true that um, the the series is highlighting the fact that there are a lot of like, uh, you know, Vikings, you know, non-Christian peoples yeah. in that period of time that intermarried, intermingled, fought, fought alongside people, um, came from different cultures and traditions, but they're kind of written out of the history part of it 
even that the fact that Vikings came over to the um, Americas was like, yeah. you know, like they came over. Um, did they fight with Native Americans? Did they potentially saddle with some Native Americans, you know? Yeah, these are great questions. <laughs> I wish I knew the answer. One of the trips that we took when we went to Mexico is we went to, um, we stayed in the in the area of Tulum, um, and we went to Chichen Itza. Oh, I've been there. And on the murals is uh, one of the Vikings. So they, they actually chronicled that the like someone who looked like a Viking came and visited that part of the world. The world. You're asking these questions. You're bringing out and partnering with some Native Americans in the area so that they we can hear their stories. Yeah. We can hear... We can hear and see some of their storytelling and some of their dance. Because storytelling is also potentially done through dance. Yep, yep. And they'll be bringing um, uh, canoes and a lean-to oh, so we cool. can see their, their structure and uh, water drums to help share their stories oh, as well. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's going to be an ex exciting event. So what yep. what's other some other things that are happening at Words on the Water? So we'll also have some arts and crafts. Uh, the Malden Girl Scouts will be there as well. Love the Malden Girl Scouts. Yeah, Were you a great. scout? Of, of course I was. <laughs> <laughs> Scouts honor. Yes, that's right. Troop 1122. <laughs> and then there's going to be poetry? Yeah, we're um, also going to be infusing uh, Joy Harjo's poetry through the event as well. What is that going to look like? Or sound You'll have like. to come and check it out. <laughs> it's a surprise. Surprise, yeah. Um, so are any other events happening around Joy Harjo's book for the rest of the year that you want to talk about? No, this is really our capstone event okay. for our 2022 book. And then, um, no pun intended, but we'll be turning the page and mm -hmm. um, picking our, our book for 2023. Um, and you've talked a, a little bit about um, how important it is for visuals to be with a book. So yeah. one of the books that is on our list is a, is a graphic novel. I so, saw that. Yeah. I'd like to buy, like, whenever there's a book that I love, I buy, like, try and buy, like, five copies of it. And then I end up giving it to people because I love that idea that there's something that I love to give it to other people. Um I did that with Ocean Vong's work um, oh. on Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous, which is poetry, memoir, and he was smart because he calls it novel. And then by saying it's novel, he can he can be fluid between forms yeah. and past and present. Um, there's there's adult themes in it. He talks very openly about being um, gay. Um, so there's like some few touches on sexuality um but it's uh, it's such a gorgeous read it's such a gorgeous book you know i want to again bring back to malden reads this idea that you do you guys do such a nice job of deliberating about what your book choice will be and what the impact is and what you know what lessons are we going to share together and where potentially you're going to have sticking points did you um have any what was the range of feedback that you got about this selection from the community? As you've said, some of the um, broadening our perspective and our our um, uh, reflections on the history of the community. Mm -hmm. um, it's been um, something that folks have appreciated that we've picked. Um, we had another um event with um um a retired emerson professor robin fast who lives here in malden mm -hmm. and she led a, a discussion on a couple of um the poems from american sunrise mm -hmm. and um, folks participated in that and just dug really deep into each of the lines to get a better understanding Mm -hmm. of the poem as well as what she was you know what the poem was about what she's trying to convey yeah. maybe a little bit of the history um 
little bit more understanding of her people. And I think that um, for me, that checks checks all the boxes yeah, of what, yeah. what our intention was in selecting the book. Did you have any negative feedback or have you ever? I haven't heard any. That's cool. I, I like heard that. a lot of trepidation about poetry. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and that, but, but uh, like you say, it's a, you can read it as like different snacks and just bite-sized yeah. pieces and just, just read one and then let it sit with you and you put it aside and, I think there's an openness, even though, um, even when people say, I'm not quite sure about poetry, I think there's still, there's a hesitation, but there's an openness to that statement or idea. I hear that in my writers group when we have poets who, who submit work for our workshops. I'm not quite sure what I think about poetry or how to read poetry. And, you know, Chris and I always say, that's okay. Like let's let's have let's hear it in the reader in the writer's voice. Let's interact with it like it was storytelling. Let's um, let's say what we connected to and what we didn't, and why. Um, and it's okay that every poem um, doesn't work for you. It's not yeah. supposed to. Just like every yeah. book is not going to be. Compelling yeah. and and even some books you might read, you're like, if I could just get through this part, I can get to the good part. So you know, not every book is compelling and yeah. it you know sustains your in, interest the whole time through. Um, so it's okay. I like that people are at least honest by saying, I don't know how to read poetry. Yeah, like that's that's good. Okay, great. We have a starting point. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really cool. It was something that we were all able to um, experience together, mm -hmm. jump jump in the deep end of the pool yep. and, and learn how to swim. Do you think, um, how do you think that this uh, year or two with the COVID and everything has changed how Malden reads, um, does events or thinks about, you know, things upcoming in the future? Um, the last couple of years have been really difficult yeah. for planning events. Yeah. And I think the theme from the last couple of years is that when it's cold, maybe that's when we do the events over Zoom. Mm. And then as folks can be outside, then, um, then we do that. Yeah. So I don't know whether that will carry to the future. Yeah, because um, I me think it makes a, it makes sense. And what I've loved over the last couple of years is that for Zoom events, that um, folks can participate um, maybe more so and be more inclusive yes. than we've had in the past. We have somebody who's very connected still with Malden Reads, who used to be on our committee, who now lives in Ohio. We say she's in our Ohio outpost. <laughs> um, but she was able to participate in the events because they yes. were on Zoom. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that too. And I, I could go both ways, I think. Um, it is nice to be out and see people, but I do much prefer it when it's on nice weather and when yeah. it's cold out. I, I really, I don't like the idea of having to bundle up and go out somewhere. And plus, you know, I think we're more aware because of the, we do have an endemic at this point. Yeah. Um, flu season's going to come up. Um, I don't get a lot from people standing around with masks. I'm, I'm, you know, totally understand the purpose of masks. <clears throat> I personally don't like wearing it. I don't like the feel of it, but I don't get a lot when I'm in person and masked up from other people interacting in a social capacity. Mm -hmm. In a functional capacity, I totally get it. Go to the grocery store, wear the mask, be in a doctor's office, wear the mask. But in a social capacity, I need more of your face to see. For the expression, yes. the interaction. Yes. Yeah. I'm missing a lot by not seeing that. Yeah. Um, so I really prefer Zoom because at least, I mean, I can't see your cool outfit or whether you're wearing pajamas <laughs> or what your feet look like, but at least I'm getting your facial expressions and yeah. can hear you and see you in that way. Um, that's super important to me for how I process mm -hmm. things socially. And I also don't feel like it's as heavy lifting. Like I can just be in the comfort of my home, yeah. at my desk, on my computer, you know, and it takes like... 
you know, just maybe look in the mirror to see, is my hair looking weird or what is it (laughs) to get on Zoom? And then if you're clever, (laughs) Zoom has filters that yep. put lipstick on you. Oh. <laughs> and makeup if you really want it. Wow. I'm not that clever. I did not <laughs> so know this. <laughs> I have all kinds of filters I can use if um I'm like, oh well, maybe I don't have to actually wear the lipstick. I can just put it on a zoom filter. So and you know, during pandemic I used it with my parents because my mom's in a nursing home, my dad's in in the home. And, you know, they weren't able to go in person. And plus, she's got dementia. So adding a layer of a mask is, again, she yeah. doesn't get the whole face. Yeah. So she's that's very difficult for her. Yeah. Very difficult. And Zoom was helpful because at least um, she could see see us and see our interaction yeah. and our facial, facial expression. So. Yeah, I think there's a place for each type of interaction, but I will say I'm super excited for Words on the Water being in person. Yes. We were thinking it that it would be held back in May yes, in I person. Yes. And it was almost held on the Maldron River, but on the Everett side of the river. So I'm very excited to be able to be with people in person yes. and um folks can come however they feel comfortable, whether they um want to wear a mask or or not but yes. we'll be um, outside and be together very nice and if they want to find out more information about it um, maldenreads.org maldenreads.org we currently don't have anything on our website i'll be transparent about okay. that <laughs> right. um, everything is on social media right now okay. but folks can email us at maldenreads at gmail.com okay um, so when you say social media, you mean Facebook and Instagram? Yep. Okay. And that's... Actually in Twitter, too, for people. Oh, on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, so if you're of my age group, you look for Facebook stuff. <laughs> <laughs> if you're younger than me, like you, um, probably Instagram is the is the first choice. But I'll tell you my age offline. <laughs> we'll see. I know you're younger yeah. than me. Yeah. Um, so that's so cool. I'm really looking forward to the event. I'm looking forward to, I know one of the, I think I know the book that you're talking about potentially for the um, pick for, uh, for 2020. Yeah. And I was very excited by it because I know about it. I, I've skipped through it. I haven't read the whole thing, mm. but I think it's a compelling graphic novel. And I, I actually have read a few graphic novels that I've really liked. Oh, that's so, cool. So I, I think Mouse being one of them. Yeah. Um, I've had uh, a couple of others that I have the Walking Dead's compendium, so I like I like the graphic novel there. I've read other graphic novels. Oh, I didn't know it good. was a graphic novel. I thought it was just a show. No, oh. it came. It sprung from a graphic novel. Oh wow! Yes, yeah, that's it's, cool. It's a, it was a comic. Well, they don't like to say comic book, but yeah. it was a graphic novel. Yeah, hmm. uh, it's a very cool graphic novel too. Um, but there's been others that I've read and I can't think of right now that, um, that I just blow me away. Mm. Is it by a, an Asian artist, a Southeast Asian artist that you're talking about? Um, the one that's on the list for a possibility for next year yeah. is, um, The Best We Could Do by Tai Bui. Okay. And it's about, um their experience coming to the U.S. from Vietnam. Okay, yes. That's what I thought. Uh, so that that could, that could be very cool. Yeah. So I'll also say that we um, will be having our first book selection meeting uh, coming up next week, and folks should just email us as well if there's any yeah. other books that they'd like us to consider or um, folks who want to join the selection team. That's great. Um, anything in um, wrapping up that you'd like to say? I don't think I've said this yet, Felicia, but thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> oh, really want to pleasure. share how much I appreciate um, all that you do in the community. And oh, you're sweet. That. I would say the same back to you. Uh, you and you. your you and your your mom um, were very sweet. There was a very rainy 
um, event that happened at the library where I think you were our audience members, including my husband. <laughs> and this is how I know you're a poet, because you were sharing amazing, oh. in uh, the Writers Collaborative, just beautiful poetry. Thank you. Um, punctuated with... Um, the visual of um, lightning yes. as well as with thunder booming yes, behind that's right. you. Yeah. That's right. That was so cool. That was actually a very cool. I wish there were more people that showed to that event because yeah. we also get to sit in the really cool part of the library yeah. indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always love talking to the librarians. One of my favorite yeah. jobs um, in high school was I worked at the library when they were oh. – um, and this is how old I am, they were uh, converting their paper system to computer records. So um, they were instituting barcodes, and um, I was helping them amass their database for the different books. That's cool. And then I got to actually work in the um, behind the scenes, you know, putting barcodes in books and making sure they were scannable and... Um, they learned all about ISBN numbers and Library of Congress, and because Library of Congress had a, it was maybe Library of Congress it was a, it was some sort of registry of all different books, and they we had actually CDs we had to put into the computer and then look to find, the edition in the book and the, the author and the title and make sure that that mm. their ISBN matched and then create the barcode that would have gone with that book and wow yeah it was a digitization of their catalog huh. so so you can add archivist to your resume I guess so <laughs> <laughs> how did you decide to be uh, an educator like do you do you actually teach anymore or do you were actually, you a teacher no I wasn't a teacher um, I've I've come from a family of of educators mm-hmm. and I'm the black sheep in the family yep. for um, working in um, education administration, <laughs> not with um, education and being in a classroom myself. I, um, my mom was a teacher as well. She um, and a family definitely of teachers. Um, and I went to Boston College and I was in the School of Education, but I was always in a non-certification <laughs> I thought at one point I might be a school counselor, but I, I didn't didn't end up going through the rest of the training. I went and got a master's in communication from Emerson. So, um, but yes, I am the black cheek of the family. <laughs> I know how to talk a good game in terms of school and education, but I'm not not a teacher. Yep. I did, never had the patience for it. Um, yeah, there's just a, a, everyone has their own passion and yes. connection with what what works for them. Yeah. What yeah. what brought what 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 is it about school administration that you are passionate about? Um for me it's just focusing on the systems and making things run smoothly for kids, but like you just not having the um desire to have my own classroom or yeah. to have that um all that work and amazing so dedication and work that teachers do yeah I have a lot of respect for it I just don't want to do it yes yeah I hear you I mean I used to be part of helping my mom set up her classroom and the amount of time and thought process given to I mean my mom taught kindergarten most of her career but the amount of time and thought process given to um a curriculum and the building blocks and how you would measure the stages and but then also creating an environment in your classroom that's welcoming and open and dealing with, oh, my God, so many different styles and energies. And, I mean, I'll, I don't know how teachers do it. I really don't. Yep. I really don't. And I I have fond memories of so many different teachers that I had with so many different types of styles. And um, I just considered myself lucky because – the ones that were good or I remember are so much more prevalent in my mind than the ones that were, you were like, Oh, I don't, yeah. don't like this teacher or he had a bad teacher. Yeah. You know? It's really true. A good teacher is just has so much impact on, on you for, for years and years. Yeah. Who would, can you think of a name of a, a teacher that you're, you're actually, I'll teacher? tell you one of my most beloved teachers was Miss Gonzalez. And what was cool is, I don't know if you met her this year, um, Mary Ellen, she recently joined us with Malden Reads, 
She had lived for years and years in Spain, came back to Malden to be with family, and I met her this year at the mayor's book discussion. <laughs> wow. And what was cool was she said that she had wanted to bring her favorite English teacher. I was like, who's her favorite English teacher? Can't be as wonderful as one of my favorites. Turns out, same teacher. Oh, wow. So we absolutely bonded over that. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I can remember so many of my favorite teachers. Probably one of my favorites was Professor McLaughlin. She was a Spanish teacher. She had lived in Spain. She was not a native English, a na- native Spanish speaker, speaker but she, um, she taught with um, multidisciplinary. So we would have recitation. She would also have us build our skills by reading something and then having us take the di- dictation. So like write what she was speaking, she would have us go up and, and she would give us a piece to learn, like a poem or something, and then we would have to go up and say it, and she would like mark, you know, different portions. Did we forget a pronunciation or a word? Did we say something different than we were supposed to? Um, and then the last year that you had, or the last course like Spanish four or whatever was all cultural stuff which I loved and she showed us slides of different artists and we had to name the artist and then the name of the painting or um, understand uh, where you know geography where the different cities were and then the cultural history of that city that was the part and I actually got to go to Spain in high school so so that's a big deal I think that's part of it when you learn a language, how important the culture is yeah. behind behind the language. And so to have that connection makes everything come alive. Yeah, I still remember, I think it was, it was to learn how to roll your R's. Um, so it was, R con R faril, R con R barril, rápido corren los carros de ferrocarril. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it was like it was about it was about the Ferris wheel. So like oh. how fast do the cars go? How rapid do the cars go on the ra- on the Ferris wheel? And it's like I can still roll an R. Uh, now who knows if the rest of that was pronunciation wise good or not, but um I remember going to Uh, Madrid and being able to say like I want to pay in traveler's checks (laughs) 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 and the person in the store laughed at me and I was like oh but it was like maybe because I was attempting my uh my Spanish so well this has been a pleasure is there anything else in in passing or um in wrapping up that you'd like to say anything you forgot to say that you want to say so now is this the time that I say bye Felicia (laughs) (laughs) perfect (laughs) thank you Jody. it was a pleasure thank you so much take care a little bit about words on the water so you can find event information on the Facebook page for Malden Reads as well as if you go to maldenreads.org slash events Words on the Water is going to be on September 24th from 10 to 2. So save the date for a day of poetry readings by local authors, free canoe rides, which is a very cool thing. I've done this in past years. On the River, which is the Mystic River, art, community, and more. This is a free event, family-friendly, sponsored by Malden Reads and Friends of the Malden River. So stay tuned. Check out Facebook. And please, if you're interested in a canoe ride, you need to sign up to make sure that you can uh, give all those authorizations and book a slot. So take care. Hi Felicia is produced by Felicia Ryan, and she retains all broadcast rights and copyrights to this program. Theme music provided by Stephanie Griffin. Technical support by Heather McCormick. Our sound editing is done by Sully Banger. Social media maven, previous guest, and my online content guru is Rachel Lento. Hi Felicia is supported in part by a generous grant from the Malden Cultural Council and recorded in cooperation with UMA Urban Media Arts in downtown Malden. You can find Hi Felicia on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, and most platforms a podcasts are found. Please take a moment to like, download, write a review, and share this program. You are our ears. Thanks for listening.
To find out more about High Felicia or our guest or how to support this podcast, you can visit our Facebook page, our Instagram page, or www.feliciaryan.com, which is F-E-L-I-C-I-A-R-Y-A-N. And again, thanks for listening. Thank you.